Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode of the Cerebral Women podcast, I feature photographer Michael Halsband. Michael grew up in Manhattan, attended SVA, the School of Visual Arts, and started his career photographing musicians and other artists. He was a tour photographer with the Rolling Stones, a fashion photographer working with prestigious brands. He worked with several magazines such as Interview, Avenue, Rolling Stones, and many of the Condé Nast publications. He has worked with personalities such as Klaus Nomi, Lydia Lunch, James Brown, Al Pacino, Hunter S. Thompson, and Johnny Depp, to name a few. While I am definitely impressed with his complete bio, what captured my attention was his honest and revealing story about his time spent with Jean-Michel Basquiat. In this interview, we did not talk about Michael's photography. We talk about a journey and adventure of two young men brought together by photography. It's a story that I want to share with my listeners, and it's a story that I want to thank Michael Halsband for sharing with me. Michael, welcome to my Cerebral Women podcast. Uh, The last time we had a one-on-one conversation was in your kitchen. We were enjoying some delicious vegetables and quite a bit of tequila. If I remember correctly, I was, my brain was pretty stimulated, but it was definitely more from the conversation. I, um, I really am excited to share with listeners your experience and insights into the world of Jean-Michel Basquiat. It was two young artists, one black, one white, with different life experiences, building a special uh, yet short friendship and embracing whatever came your way. I think there are a lot of us that cherish that type of life experience. So let's get started. Let's start from the moment you met Andy Warhol and uh, how that transitioned. So yeah, the Fillmore East and Andy was always there every night hanging out in the lobby. So I saw this guy and he seemed kind of creepy, white hair and older guy. And and there was some other people also in the lobby who were a bit sketchy trying to always hit up on me and I felt very so I lumped him in with them and I I didn't but I knew who he was and then as years went by um you know he he just got bigger and bigger and then um I guess it was uh, 1978 so you know like figure 11 years later I get this assignment from Art News magazine because I'm hustling while I'm in art school. Because I went, I started SVA in '76, but I and I graduated in '80. But I was all over it, you know. Everything, any, everything I learned, I put it right to practice and in, in trying not? to get gigs. So I, um, I went out. I was walking. I had t- I gone to Art News and um, and gotten this interesting assignment to make a portrait of eight artists in their studio. And uh, the editor-in-chief said, um, let's split the list in half. And you go after four of them, and we'll go after four of them. And on my list was Andy Warhol. And I thought, oh, man, how am I going to find Andy Warhol? (laughs) You know, like, it's just so, uh, you know, it's he's probably, like, you know, as hard to get to as the Stones. Or, you know, like, it's just going to be hard because he's probably got a lot of handlers and whatever. And... um, so I'm trying to wrap my head around it and I'm asking around the other artists I know. And then 
uh, it was like three days later, it was like a weekend and uh, I'm walking up Madison Avenue and we pass Andy. It's like Madison and 63rd, you know, just like right around here. And um, we pass Andy and we get about a half a block away. And I think, and I turn to my girlfriend and I said, wait a second, I've, I got to ask him, if, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to run back and ask him. And I ran back and a Madison was empty. Like there was nobody, it was like a Saturday morning or something really early. And um, I run back and I'm out of breath. And I said to Andy, hey, Andy, um, you know, my name is Michael Halsband. And I'm, I'm working on this story, eight artists in their studios for Art News Magazine. And would you be interested in, you know, like I was, you know, I told him the whole story. And he said, uh, oh, sure. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Wow. And so I said, are wow. you sure? Are you sure? Like, because he said, call my studio and um, just tell them that, you know, who you are. And, and, uh, and I was like, I said, are you sure that, um, you know, like, you're not just fucking around with me. Right. And he's like, he's like, no, no, no. It's I'm, I'm like, he knew, you know, he's like, no, no, I'm, I want to do it. So I was like, okay, great. And I called the next day and they, uh, they said, yeah, when do you want to do it? Um, and so I went up there and I, uh, did the portrait and then he gave me a copy of uh, his latest book, you know, um, um, A to B or whatever. And then he took me on a tour of the factory and introduced me to everybody at interview. And he said, um, you know, we'd love for you to work for interview. Um, and wow. I was like, wow, great. Yeah, I'd love to. And um, so I started working, making portrait, you know, getting assignments and, um, and working with them. And that went on, you know, all the way past his, well, actually, I don't know, I guess after he passed away, he, um, I, I didn't work for them much anymore, but, but, um, you know, it was the beginning of, a of, of my working at interview. And then in 80, um, art news asked me if I would make a portrait of Andy for the cover of art news, <clears throat> which is a big deal for me. Um, and I, um, and Andy came over alone, and we made the portrait. And it's, um, you know, back in 1980, uh, it wasn't quite, I don't know, what it sort of blew up to be, where people come with a whole entourage. And it's, I, I don't allow that to this day. Like, if somebody wants to do, make a portrait with me, we got to just do it, the two of us, and leave it at that. But um, then I kept working with Interview of all of those years and then um Andy would invite me to these dinners and um all sorts of fun little events and things over the time yeah so it was really fun uh, you know I was always a, a bit intimidated by him and then and and I and I think Andy actually stood up for me on the Stones tour because Andy and Mick were really close mm -hmm. and when we were in Texas Andy came and visited um, Andy and Fred Hughes came and visited us on the road. And um, I have pictures of somebody called me and said, hey, you got to come down to this room. Andy wants to say hi. So he knew I was out on the road with them, which was really cool. And, um, you know, that was a big deal for me. I bet. <laughs> yeah, all of it was. And I was excited that Andy even... I, I used to think people didn't even know who I was. You know, like I just was this is a great career for somebody who thinks they're invisible. And that's the way I've always felt. Like, I just don't think anybody notices me. And so it's always like kind of shocking when people, I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but when it happens and people come up to me and say, Oh, I'm a big fan of your work or something. I think, God, like what, a, it's gotta be a bunch of bullshit. Like, what do they want from me? They can't know me, you know, like I'm not anybody, you know, out in the world that's that, you know, to me, you know, I, I, I move around and I think I can stand in a room and observe people and think nobody knows I'm here, you know. Some people pay attention. I guess yeah. the people who are watching me <laughs> thinking nobody's watching them. But, you know, it's just a funny thing. Like it, it worked out perfectly for this career. And you traveled to Paris. <clears throat> Yeah, then, so that was an interesting thing, which I've come to realize just recently um, from the publication of this book of Andy Warhol's pictures of his relationship, through, from his whole relationship with Jean-Michel Basquiat, 
that um, in 1985, I was making pictures for area for the club that um, they were changing the whole theme and the look of the club every six weeks. So they um, were um, uh, making an ad for Interview Magazine, like a full-page ad, and they were hiring me to make the picture for that ad. So we would... The picture kind of changed. It wasn't something that was very stylistically uh, similar. Uh, We kind of changed with the the theme. And... um, there was this one that was called, like, I think it was like, oh, it was fashion. And I thought, I think it was the first one I did, or I think so, yeah. And I think that they, um, uh, and Andy was in it. It was an odd cross-section of people. Keith Haring was in it. Um, Steve Rubell was in it. John Sachs and Andy and... Cornelia Gast and it was an uh, like and then a whole bunch of like Way Bandy and Harry King and just this odd mix of people and all cool people um Diane Brill I'm trying to remember it's just a crazy picture there's even a horse a full-sized horse in it um and we did it up at this um studio on um 31st street on the west side and um the horse was alive Live horse, oh. a big white horse, <laughs> yeah. And um, anyway, in this book just recently uh, the, that came out just this past um, fall, uh, there's pictures from that day, and John came with Andy. But John wasn't in the picture. He just came along to watch. So that makes me think that we were that he was he saw me making this picture then the next time he saw me was for area's art artist theme show area art and um it was always like a one word i guess theme but um and then sean was in that picture he was central and that was a group of artists that i photographed on the steps of mr chow um, on uh, 57th Street, and uh, he uh, that night I tried to talk to him, and he was busy um, drawing over people's drawings that were in a book that Mr. Michael Chow had in the restaurant, and he was just riffing off, you know, like con- like kind of adding to all this stuff, and s- until somebody realized what he was doing, and they grabbed it away from him. But um, <laughs> he um, he was so focused on that that he we couldn't connect, and so I kind of left it like because I'd heard about Jean Michel, and I kind of felt like, oh yeah, he you know another you know person of the moment kind of thing he'll be gone you know like that not that I had anything against him or I hadn't even seen his work yet but I just thought you know yeah whatever so you know easy come easy go and then I got a call to come to a dinner that Andy was having in the back room of Texarkana in uh, the village and um I and I I kind of thought like eh, you know like these dinners can sometimes be really, you know, um, like more work than fun. And I just was, but I said, you know, yeah, I'll go to, I'll come to Texarkana because they had this amazing honey dip fried chicken. And I was like, <laughs> not going to pass that up for free. So um, I walked, I came in late, like 15 minutes late, and the table was full you know, everybody was sitting down and there was one seat left at the table next to Jean-Michel. And I thought, oh boy, this is going to be rough. I'll, you know, what, what, whatever, I'm, I'm, I'll just get through it. And um, I sat down and he turned to me right away and he said, um, hey, I've been a big fan of your work. Wow. Um, and I thought, um, you know, if, for about five years. I've known your work for about five years. And I thought, oh, what a bunch of bullshit. And he said, um, yeah, that picture you did of Klaus Nomi. And I thought, wow, that was five years ago. That was in 1980. I thought, oh, man, he knows what he's talking about. so great, huh? I was like, wow, that's crazy. And he, he said, you know, um, I'd like to talk 
to you about, um, talk with you about, um, working on a, uh, of a project that Andy and I have. Um, and, um, he said, um, Hey, you want to go in the bathroom, uh, with me? And I, I thought, all right. And we literally stood up and there was a bathroom right behind us, a door, a little door. And in like, we walked in the door and it was a teeny little bathroom, like just big enough for a toilet seat and a teeny little sink and not for two people to stand in and have a conversation necessarily. But there we were, he lit up a joint and, um, he said, um, you know, Andy and I've been, we made these paintings together. We've collaborated on a whole bunch of work and we're going to have an exhibition at Tony Schifrazzi's gallery. And, um, we, we have this idea to make a poster, like a boxing poster, um, for the, to advertise the, the, uh, show. And, um, would you be interested in, um, in making that picture? And I thought some, like in my mind, it was like, I was, I said, sure. Yeah, I'd love to. And, but I was thinking to myself, like, I'm never going to get this picture. Like this is like the second anybody hears about this, like there's a thousand photographers who will step over me to get this and wouldn't even think like, they wouldn't even know that they, they, they're just going to get somebody better than me in a split second. And, um, we, he was, he, he said, great. Yeah, great. We'll, we'll, um, you know, I'll have somebody contact you and make the plan and we'll do it next, you know, like, you know, I don't think we had a time frame, but anyhow, uh, we walked out of the bathroom and Andy was sitting <clears throat> like a couple seats. He was sitting at the head of the table and um, uh, just a couple seats over from us. And uh, Jean, you know, stood there at that table and said to Andy, Hey, Andy, Michael's going to make that picture for the poster for us. And Andy said, Oh, but we've already asked Robert Maplethorpe to do it. And I thought, yeah, I was like, yeah, you see there again, it's like, <laughs> didn't, didn't even last 30 seconds. And, um, and John said, Nope, Michael's going to do it. And Andy said, Oh, great. I love Michael's portraits, you know? And that was that? And I got a call the next day from Tony saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm told that you're going to do this picture. And, uh, and, um, I said, yeah, I was like, um, he said, well, when do you, you know, when, when, like, how's next week? And I was sort of like, still not really convinced that we were going to do it. And then he, he said, um, uh, I said, sure, next week. It's great. And, um, the day came and, uh, my studio manager, the buzzer rang, my studio manager came over, my assistant and I were unpacking from a job. And she said, hey, are you expecting Tony Shafrazi? And I said, no. I said, I don't think so. And I said, oh, oh, wait a second. Oh, my God, I forgot. I'm photographing Jean-Michel Basquiat and Andy Warhol today. <laughs> and they, my, the, the two of them looked at me like, what? And I was like, yeah, we got to do this shoot. You know, and I told my assistant, I said, Drew, you know, let's set up quick. Let's set up a white background and look like we were plan, you know, that we knew about it, <laughs> you know, that, um, we were prepared. That's yeah. We crazy. set it up. Literally. I said to Susan White, I said, just go down and, and, uh, go slow, you know, just take your time bringing them up here and we'll get it roughed out. And then John came over and, um, we, um, Tony, I, I have some video footage from that day uh, just to sort of look at. And, um, and then Andy showed up and we did the shoot really from the beginning because uh, Tony showed up with two shopping bags from Paragon Sporting Goods with the boxing gloves and the trunks. So it was, you know, there, the, the stuff was there and they were just kind of putting it on and playing with it. And Jean took his pants off. Um, and he had shorts on underneath like boxer shorts. And so the first pictures are like Jean in boxer shorts and Andy with a Everlast t-shirt and they both have the gloves on and, and Jean takes the first punch at Andy and Andy, the expression on Andy's face is like, what did I get myself into <laughs> here? You know, like this is raw, this is real. And, um, 
And then we worked, you know, we worked through that. Um, the, the, the shoot uh, was 15 rolls of film. Um, it was about an hour, and then we were done. And we basically covered, like, individual pictures and then um, double uh, the, the double pictures. And then um, we, um, we kind of felt like we had enough variety, I think, because I wasn't really looking for anything. I was trying to just fulfill the idea, you know, their concept. Um, it wasn't, um, you know, that's, that wasn't really my kind of uh, photo shoot. It to be longer, were you expecting it to be longer than an hour? No, no, I no, just wanted okay. to get it over with. I, like, okay. I was pretty much like, just give them what they want and get, get it done. Really? I did not think that that was an important uh, photo shoot. It just felt like something like others' photo shoots I'd done for interview, let's say, that were very conceptual. And I always looked at them as more novel than something serious for me, you know. So I just sort of felt like, hey, you got what you need? Cool. Um, you know, I'm good. You know, like it felt good to me. And I did feel like there were, there were moments there that I felt like, no, this is good. You know, like we got something cool. But I didn't think it was historical or like, you know, anything big. It certainly is historical. Oh, yeah, I see. <laughs> I mean, I'm the one that sees that more, you know, like every, on an everyday basis um, right. in the sense of, you know, all the attention that I've seen it get. It's... it's um, it's awesome. I mean, it's. I last year we went to Perry Photo um, to Gagosian exhibited um, twelve images from my travels with Jean Michel, and and some images from the um, the sitting with Andy and Jean Michel with the boxing gloves. And I thought, you know, I said, I took a moment to say, you know, we wouldn't even be here right now if it wasn't for Jean Michel. Like this is, like. And this is an amazing experience for me in my life, but it would not be, it would not have happened uh, at all um, if Jean-Michel, you know, and I um, didn't, you know, that if he didn't choose me, you know, to do this job and to, to work with him. How long were you, were you in each other's lives? You know, like, a, I, it I'd say a year plus, I mean, I kept reaching out to him, um, from time to time. And, um, because right after that photo shoot, we went traveling together. Um, he, I brought him the film to see from the sitting and he, he, um, he, um, he loved it, and he said, um, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, well, I'm, I'm around, I'm hanging, you know, I'm just here. And, or what are you doing these days? Or like something like that it was pretty um, vague. And I said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just hanging out, working, whatever. And he said, you want to go to Paris with me tomorrow? And I, I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. And um, so we took off um, for, again, I didn't know how long we were going um, for, but... He, um, we ended up traveling for about a month together. And, um, yeah. Was what was that like? Like all of August, pretty much. We left on Bastille Day and we were back kind of end of August. Um, so almost a month and a half. Um, it was amazing. Um, and, uh, it was intense because, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do, and slowly we kind of got into a, a, you know, a kind of a track of, like, we were going to travel together, and we went down to Portugal. We went to Lisbon first, um, but we were in Paris for, like, a week of maybe, yeah, like about a week of first, and then we, were, then we realized it was just going to be the two of us because we went there with Eric Good, but Eric took off to... Um, pursue this this um, young model um, girl who uh, that happens yeah <laughs> absolutely understandable but we but it just put John and I together and John said what are you what are your plans what are you going to do and I said hey man I'm just I came with you I got no plans so I'm just hanging out and he said great you want to travel together and I said yeah let's do it and he's like all right let's go and we took off and you know right away I could see that there was difficulty with um, you know getting around um 
people wouldn't pick us up in taxis. Um, when we got to the airport, we got searched. You know, it just felt like, man, what's this, like all this unnecessary resistance, you know, that I had never experienced in my life. And um, I was like, uh, this is, you know, this is bad, you know. And it started to wear on my patience. And John, at first, he was like, you know, not saying much about it. And then I started to get more agitated over time because it was happening everywhere we went and all the time. And so what, it wasn't, what do you think, what was the result of, why was there persistence? Was it his appearance, black man? Yeah, he had, you know, the hairstyle, like the hair sticking up mm-hmm. and um, Yoji Yamamoto sunglasses, Come to Garçon, Armani, um clothing um he had a lot of good i mean he dressed very well but also very um you know he stood out a bit didn't stand out to me but then we were traveling in like sometimes rural areas and he wasn't trying to blend in he was just being himself which was great but it was probably shocking to people to see a person um, like that. And he also had no credit cards and was traveling with $50,000 and $100 bills. So it was, it was, I, I made a deal with him up front because I said, you know, this is uncomfortable <laughs> you paying for everything. Why don't you let me pay for things where we need credit cards to do that? You know, like, or that would make more sense to pay in credit cards. So like hotel bill or, you know, th- stuff like that. And so, um, airline tickets and then you can pay for the cash things you know like food and whatever and he he was like cool okay yeah but I mean you know he's super generous um to a fault sometimes it just felt like I just didn't want to be paid for all the time Mm -hmm. but um you know and um but he never thought twice about it um I think with him I first realized that like the more generous you are, the more things come your way. Like the more, like everything just flows. Like if you're tight, then everything's tight. Like it's just, the world is tight around you. Like, I don't know. It's just an observation I made in that moment with being around him because he would trip over himself to be the one to pay for everything. And I kind of thought, what's the upside? Like, what's the, like, he must be getting something from that. It made him feel good. Yeah. And so I realized, like, and and that, too, I mean, which is an awesome thing, right? I mean, you know, to... Feels good to give. Yeah. And um, so he, he, was, it was, he was a great um, example in a lot of ways of, for behavior in general. I mean, he had a wonderful way about things. And um, even when I was really struggling with... Um, all this resistance from um, people um, around us that we would encounter and, you know, hotel, trying to check into a hotel or I tried to get him into a hotel. He wanted to stay. He always wanted to do the best thing. So it's like, I want to wear the best clothes. I want to eat the best food. I want to stay in the best hotels. Everything I want to do, I want to do it the best. So I was like, okay, well, and he said, where do you think the best hotel is in Paris? And I, I said, well, you know, I like the Creome. I think I've never stayed there, but it's just an awesome looking <laughs> place. And it faces out over the Place de Concorde. And, you know, how, I don't know, just felt. And he said, well, hey, do you think I could get a room in there? And I was like, well, let me call up. And I said, I called the hotel and I said, I want to book a room, single, you know, just one person. Um, and do you have something that faces the Place de Concorde? And they said, yeah, we have one room left facing the Place de Concorde, 450 a night. And I said, hey, Jean, 450 a night. And he was like, it's all right. I was like, God, that's crazy, but all right. And I booked it. And then he went over there and they, they turned him down. Oh, no. Yeah. And I said, put the guy on the phone. Let me, I just made the reservation. And I would have never thought twice, you know, right. like if it was if for me. Like yeah, I would have never th- thought to ask who I'm making the reservation with or who, you know, or just what, you know, whatever you would want to know to know that you're not being run around or going to get turned down. So 
he, um, <clears throat> so that was my first sort of like, uh, you know, that angered me because I kind of stuck him out there and then, that, you know, and that happened to him. I felt very personally responsible for that. And then I took it personally every time we sort of walked into a situation and I couldn't get the result that I was accustomed to. But, um, how old were you? 29. So you still... He was 24. Uh, uh, yeah. I was old. I old man. You, you have a great <laughs> life. God, those 20s for you were... Oh, yeah. Man, man oh, man. And then, um, you know, we, when we were down in Portugal, and then there was also just his way of getting through the day, which was really difficult for me. Because I wasn't really used to doing so much... Um, you know, getting high during the day, um, which just changed <laughs> a lot of things in the, in the way the day went. Right. And then Not into the productive. night, yeah, well, productive, it's sort of like your work method, you know, your, your work way, like versus, it's like his way of functioning and working and processing things was just radical for me to kind of like, try to adjust to and since we were traveling together I did not feel like I could put up any kind of resistance or draw a line I just sort of rolled with his way and it frustrated me because I felt like the day deteriorated very quickly after you know sometime in the afternoon and then I realized you know that it's just you know a a coping you know, way, uh, way, you know, it's like, um, he, he's up against, uh, uh, you know, this reality, you know, that I'm not seeing, you know, the same way and, um, his ability, his way, his, the way he figured out how to deal with it and navigate it was tremendous, uh, you know, um, for him, it just was too much for me. I was soft that way. I couldn't, you know, kind of wrap my head around where I needed to get, how I needed to get with it and, and, and what I needed to do to get with it. And he, he, I got into a fight one night, we went out to a club and, uh, it was really late and we were down at the end of uh, Portugal, um, outside of the place we had gone to was Faro, but we went, we backtracked like 12 miles back to, to go to some nightclub because he wanted to dance. He loved dancing <laughs> and he loved, you know, like, um, you know, loved music, loved dancing. But so we, I thought we were going to have one quiet night, but nope, he managed to find a club for us to go to and we drove up, took a taxi there, got up there, hung out. And it actually turned out to be a lot of fun and we were there till like two o'clock and then they were closing and we went outside and there was no taxi to be found. And we went to, uh, there was one taxi who was off duty. Then he decided he was going to take us. And we were, okay, you know, get in the taxi. And I'm thinking, oh, great, we're going to make it home first time and before like four and the five in the morning. <laughs> and um, Jean says, oh, you know, I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> And I was like, oh, dude, no, 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 don't do this. You know, and the taxi driver says, oh, I know where I know where you can, where we can get some food. And I was like, are you fucking serious? Like, <laughs> is this really happening? This is a nightmare. And he goes, uh, we go to this roadhouse bar and they have like steak sandwiches and it's just filled with guys, smoky, you know, pool table in the back. It's like classic. The bar is filled with guys and all the tables and chairs full filled with people it's 2 30 in the morning and it just was amazing and then um we ate and i had invited the taxi driver to join you me. know to well to if he wanted to eat because he went and sat at the bar with some friends and i said hey if you want to eat let me know you know or no 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 it's okay and then um as soon as we're done eating he says yeah you know what i'm hungry i'm gonna have something to eat and i was like <laughs> uh, this is a nightmare you know so he he um he gets food and then I'm just falling asleep standing up. Like I, I decided to try to go out and just lay in the back seat of his car. And he comes out and he says, no, 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 you can't lay in the seat of the car. You can't lay down. 
was like, oh man, I'm waiting, you know, like what? And then he comes out, he goes back in, he comes out with another guy and he says, okay, this is the deal. You're going to, and he's saying this all in Portuguese. So he says, you're going to drive, you're going to, um, you're going to drive, um, one of you's going to sit in the front. One of you's going to sit in the back and my friend's going to sit in the back too. So I was like, no, 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 we're not doing that. We, we started out this drive, the three of us, and we're going to keep going or we're not going with you. And he said, okay, fine. Then I'm not taking you. And I said, and John's standing over my shoulder and he says, um, now what are you going to do? And I'm yelling at this guy. And now the parking lot's filled with everybody's come out from the bar. So now there's a big circle around us, all these guys. And I reach down the whole parking lot is filled with these big stones like smooth big stones and I pick up two and I'm like you know just yelling at the guy and this guy steps out of the crowd and he says I understand English I can speak English and he said the guy's just nervous that you're going to rip him off and I said well we're not going to rip him off I'm I'm scared that he's going to rip us off because I don't we don't know our way around here and you know screw him so Jean's like you know, John's over my shoulder going, man, you know, where do you think this is going? You know, like, where are you going with this? And I was like, I don't know, but I'm not letting him take advantage of us. And I don't know what, you know, I, it was late. And I said, okay, screw it, man. We're out of here. And I was like, and we walked up. I threw the rocks down and we walked out on the road. It was a two lane road. Um, and I could see the lights to the town far away, really. I mean, it's just insane. And I thought, well, maybe we'll be able to hitchhike or something. But I am not getting in that car. And we walk out on the road, and it is pitch black, like a moonless night. And we're walking down the road, and Jean says, um, he kind of drifts back. And then I see him light up a joint. <clears throat> and he's so, he says, oh. I always knew we'd be friends. And he's like, you know, choking on this joint, on the smoke. And I turn back, it's like, oh, this is a perfect time to do that, John. Yeah, this is great. Now we're out here and you're going to get high. (laughs) And he goes, he laughs and he says, I always knew we'd be friends. And I was like, and it shocked me at that moment. It just kind of was stunning in the sense that I thought, so this is the moment, this is the telling moment, you know, that I'm at my angriest and he somehow connected. It's my him. most open, you know, and, uh, you know, all guard down, just flat out, pure me, whatever. And um, it just was stunning you know like I thought wow okay all right so I thought we were friends all this time but I guess I was still keeping something um holding you know putting up some what of a front you know yeah so yeah we um we managed to walk almost all the way back we did get a taxi but it was like i don't know we were maybe less than a mile from the hotel at that point but we'd walk through the night it was like 10 miles or something we'd walk till it yeah till the light came up and um we got back to the hotel and i said hey man i can't i just can't do this john i can't i can't i just can't you know do this and he he said um i understand he was laying on the bed and he was just like looking up at the ceiling and he's like, I understand. And I said, I've got to go, man. I just can't keep, tra- you know, traveling like this with you. And he, and I took off back to Paris and I went back to New York you and John, I left him and, and, uh, and then John went to Amsterdam and about three, four days later, he called me. And he said, hey, I'm heading back to Paris. You want to meet there? And I was like, sure. And it had just given me enough time to sort of like calm down and reflect on it all. And I thought, no, I really regret, you know, like having left. I kind of, you know, chickened out, you know, like I kind of felt like. Mentally, physically. Yeah. But then I realized like I need to do this. Like I need to. I need to be able to do this, like, in the way that I 
think I can, you know, and, and then we went back and hung out for another like three, four weeks, like just traveling. We went, we stayed in Paris and then we went to Italy and hung out there and, and, um, yeah, it was, it, it, I was more, I knew what I got myself into at that point. I think it was just shock, a bit of shock the first time. But uh, what shape were you in by the time you got back to the U.S.? Well, I think we were, you know, we were really close at that point. We'd been both been down pretty hard to like. I think Jean went through some stuff when we were in Italy that was tough for both of us, for him especially. But I think I, I saw him wrestling with some issues, and no there to help him and I think like in general you know when we got back to the city he constantly reached out to get together for lunch or go to the museum or go you know do stuff together or hang out or just whatever and um, you know but we spent a lot of time talking and hanging out and and then um, Andy you know then the, the show happened and um, the review was devastating for Jean. Was, he didn't want to talk to Andy anymore, and he. Um, I was there the day he read the review. What we show were, was this? I'm sorry. It was the collaboration show with him, his work, him, his and Andy Warhol's work, collaboration works, um, and he. Uh, yeah, he. Um, there was a a big review in the New York Times, which just painted Jean out to be Andy's boy, and. Um, it just upset John, um, and I tried to reason with John and say, "Don't you know? Don't don't blame it all on Andy, first of all, and and um, you know maybe just try to talk it out and figure it out before you just shut Andy down." And uh, John looked at me like, "Whose side are you on?" Kind of thing. Like he never said anything, but he looked at me like corner of his eye like not sure about you now and I thought I could feel it it was like tangible um or you know that there was all of a sudden a a percentage of distrust in me you know uh for me and um once that happens it's hard to go back yeah and then it happened again because I came and he asked confronted me and asked me if I could get a message to Jean and I I relayed the message to Jean which um, you know you don't have to do what people tell you to do (laughs) like I've learned that lesson but um the hard way but uh Jean again looked at me like huh okay another 10 percent you know another percentage of of like not sure whose side you're on, you know. And um, we stayed friends, and but it was affected by the those two moments, and um, I learned a lot from that. Like it was a you know those were lessons hard learned um, at the cost of a friendship that was you know pure. Yeah. But you know. Um, and, and I think he, you know, there wasn't much I could do. I felt like Jean did what he wanted to do all the time anyway. It wasn't anybody, nobody was going to have any real um, impact. Um, and I think he, he tried to, there was a part of him that I, I, I know that, like I had, in a, I had a bad temper growing up and I would do things uh, that were, Sometimes, it, it not, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out how to describe this because I haven't actually ever talked about this, but I, I've thought a lot about it. But John sometimes did things that I thought were, I was like, wow, you know, I've been sort of, this has been beat out of me not to behave this way, but I'm impressed that somehow it's preserved in you and you do it. It's like, you know, dumping a bowl of fruit on Mary Boone's head as like he's, you know, she's walking out of his studio or, you know, like things that he did that you want to do, but you don't do them. And, but he would do them. And I thought, well, where's that going to get you? Like, let me see how this plays out. Cause I'm always tempted to behave this way, but I don't do it. Cause I've been, 
conditioned. Yeah. Trained. Yeah. Yeah, but it was a wildness, uh, you know, that he had. to let go of. Yeah, and I thought, oh, good for you, man. You know, good for you for getting it done, you know, for doing that, for reacting those ways. But, um, but it didn't play out well. And, um, and it's unfortunate, like, I, you know, I, I see how, um, you know, one needs to behave to um, get along in the world, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, and I'm not, you know, like, I have no point to make with this. I, I don't, you know, know, um, you know, my internal dialogue luckily I have a lot of people around me who can talk me down and um and I wish John would have had that or had an openness to to um listen yeah obey uh (laughs) that's a hard one to yeah I guess I don't know it's hard you know that's a hard thing we we live in a funny world um but yeah i mean artists are in a tough spot you damned if you do and you're damned if you don't so your friendship changed you fell apart um yeah i mean i just couldn't just keep calling and getting blown off and i just felt like um at a certain point he drifted away uh and i know that you know, the, the drugs had a lot to do with it. I, I took it personally, of course, but I didn't think, like, there was anything much I could do. Um, but, yeah, no, he, uh, he... He... When we ran into each other, it was always like, yeah, let's get back together, you know, let's get together, let's catch up. And he was always, you know, very enthusiastic. And then um, he would just drift back into whatever he was... In and I, I drop by from time to time, um, and um, I kept, you know, I kept coming around, um, and you know, keeping my side of it going. I, it's just that he was, um, yeah. I think that you know things got just more and more complicated for him, and um, and then I also my career took my time away and and um ran into him shortly maybe it was the spring of 88 I mean I saw him at Andy's funeral or memorial at St. Patrick's Cathedral but I'd seen him before that and after that um but I um but that was a heavy moment. He walked out of there. He didn't stick around for it. But uh, I think he was probably turned off by the people who showed up and the reason they showed up. You know, mm-hmm. it was like just a scene to be made. But um, then um, in the spring of 88, he, um, he, I ran into him at a, a club. He was dancing alone. And he um, he he grabbed me and he said, "Hey, who cleans your place? Like, how do you what do you, how do you clean your place?" And I said, "Oh, I have a a woman who cleans it for me." Um, and he said, "How many times? Like, how how does it work?" And I said, "Well, she comes twice a week." And um, he said, "What is you think she's available the other five days a week for me?" Like, you know, it was like <laughs> really sweet. And uh, I said, "Well, I can ask her for you, you know." And she said, "No, she's busy." And um, so I got back to him and I said, "No, she's she's busy, but she's her sister's free." And so he hired her sister, Blanca, and Blanca worked for him. And it was like this fast, um, <clears throat> like super tight relationship with him and her with, between him and her family. He took them out to dinner. He took them to musicals and he he was like that you know he just you know would just adopt everybody and just bring them all in really close so um it was Blanca who called me um on August 12th and said um uh Jean was not looking good you know sweaty and no air conditioner in his room and he has foam coming out of his mouth and I said well who's there like call 911 you know call the police or and she said, well, no, the girl who lives in the basement said, 
it's okay, just leave him, you know, to sleep. And uh, then I said, well, if there's somebody else there, I guess it's okay, but I don't know. I don't know, Blanca. I don't know, you know, what to tell you. It just sounds like uh, if somebody else is there, I guess, like, maybe just do whatever they think is best. And I hung up, and she called back an hour later and said that he was dead. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that... uh yeah, it was crazy. And I got off the phone. I was like on the phone in the kitchen out in the Hamptons and in Watermelon. I said to my mom, you know, I said to my family, I was like, wow, Jean-Michel just died. Gosh. Yeah, it was crazy. How did and it affect you? I mean, were you? I was shocking because I just thought, wow, how life can just, uh, you know, how fragile. Like, wow, it's just he's gone. That's crazy. I mean, I guess I felt really guilty that maybe... What could I have done? I don't know. You know, like... Yeah, you weren't there. Friends were there. They saw him the day before. They had plans to catch up and whatever. And so he wasn't on any kind of mission or anything to... But, you know, I I don't know. It was... um, Yeah. I mean, God, there's endless stories to I this. I bet there you know? are endless stories. <laughs> no, there, I mean, I do remember there's stuff that, like, is, you know, just watching him. Uh, he wasn't, I don't think he was in a great place at the end, you know, for, for. Um, um, I know I'm supposed to be talking about myself, but I, you know, no, it's hard. This is this interesting. Is, no, 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 yeah. it's um, you know, it was, it was uh, a lot of it is taken very personally in the sense that this you get to be intimate with somebody and watch how they um, choose to live their life and how it works or doesn't work or what works and do, what doesn't work for them, and and that ties into my work in a way that's like very, you know, um, to observe. Uh, and learn and sort of make note of human nature and how we are um, exposed to the world from birth and then what we choose to accept without question and then what we um, question, you know, or, or decide to explore our own ways, you know. And I think that, you know, parents can be very strong and it can matter or not matter. People can, can do the best they can to, um, help each other and it can have impact or not. And, um, and these are, we were sort of free to make the choices we make, you know, and, and sort of, uh, it's hard to change too. It's really hard to change. So, you know, and you're hanging out with geniuses, musical geniuses, artists. I mean, you're you're hanging out with some pretty heavy duty brains. Keys, uh, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then uh, Warhol, yeah, huh? And lots of pressure right. with success. Um, I know for myself that any time I experience any kind of uh, recognition or success, it's it it has an incredibly uh, I have a very difficult time with it, and I can imagine when it comes on, if it would ever come on more than I could handle, it would be, um, it'd be hard. It'd be really painful because it's already confusing in a small dose. Um, And to hold on, you know, to try to keep your feet on the ground, you know, stay grounded is, is, um, is it could become like a complete, you know, uh, preoccupation of, you know, of like, uh, unto itself, you know, that it, it just be, it's, it's sort of like it goes out of control. And even though you want it, you don't even know what you want, you know? And so you, then when you have it, it, it's so just like it's corrupting and distorting in so many ways that people throw themselves at the, you know, when I experienced it with the Rolling Stones, people throwing themselves at the band or anybody next to the band. It was just like, even me, I was just seeing it firsthand, uh, first person. Um, and I just thought, you know, 
what is wrong with us? Like, why are we, what is with humanity? Like, we're so willing to throw ourselves away for for a people who we think is, are better than us. And it's not, that's such a weird, you know, dis, distorted view to have that anybody is better. And, and then the perspective that, you know, that gave me was not, you know, with, didn't sort of result in disappointment, you know, necessarily. It wasn't like I was disappointed in, in, uh, and people for, for feeling that way. I mean, because listen, it is pretty amazing, you know, to create something, uh, a song or painting. It's pretty amazing. But at the same time, these are what's amazing about it is how fearlessly honest people would allow themselves to be to create on a level that resonates with so many others. And then that's worth celebrating and sharing and supporting. But then there's this other thing that happens, which is just like, um, it messes everybody up on both sides. So I don't, you know, I'm like talking about this, but I don't know if I have a, you know, a a complete thought about it um, or any kind of way to, um, to to wrap it up. But, you know, it's just a, it's it's just the that you know I've been so fascinated with pop culture and I've been such a fan, but at the same time I'm also kind of documenting it um, in the best way I think I can. Um, when did it cross your mind to document the time you spent with him? Yeah, I mean I forget who this professor was and, and who I spoke to one day who called me about Jean Michel. This is. 20 years ago or something and I told a bit of this story and she was like this is incredible you know like you're kind of awakening to uh, you know a situation that very few you know white people you know allow themselves to endure you know like like yes. to experience and appreciate right. Right. And I was like, if it could teach people, like, I mean, I learned so much from that experience with him because it's so emotional. Like, it's so tied in and complex. It's so complex. But you understood him. You you had a connection with him. You connected with him. Well, and he, like, he let let me, yeah, he mastered it and minded it in the way that I walked in like an innocent, you know, 20-something-year-old white kid. White boy from yeah. New York City <laughs> thought yeah. he had it all figured out. <laughs> you know, hey, check this out. Check this out. Oh, so you thought you had it all figured out, huh? Oh, of course I did. Oh, that's right, because you had worked with the Stones and everything, right? You were, you were Innocently yeah, yeah, yeah. cocky, you know. Like, I don't think I ever, you know, I think I just felt like I could do whatever I wanted. Um, so that was a real adventure then. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think it's just like, I think that she felt like, wow, this is an interesting, you know, like sort of plane to ex- have explored, like, like in the sense that, you know, you kind of uh, had a, a lot of self-realization from not having walked in this path before. So that it's like, you know, in a sense, it's like, hey, I've never walked into a airport and been strip searched, you know, like, and, uh, you know, John was like, D- don't, you know, don't get upset here. Like, this is not the place to lose it because they have all the control right now. Like, in the parking lot, there was a little more room for humor because I was really much more upset at that point in, in Portugal in the parking lot. You know, I was like... Yeah, the rocks in your hand. Fuck you. Fuck this. <laughs> those I'm fucking done. You know, like, and John's over my shoulder going, really? Calm like, down. what are you going to do with that? Like, where are you going with this? It's almost like. Our asses kicked he was like, you don't call he was down. like, I'm sure he was, he's been in worse situations. So for him, he was just sort of talking into my ear, like, where do you think you're going to, you know, where are you going with this? Right, like, what right, do you right. think you're going to do? Because he wasn't so scared for himself as much. He was probably just like, dude, you're losing it. Like, it's not going to work for you. Yeah. Like, look around, <laughs> you know, it's not, you're not going to win this one. But, you know, it's a, it's a funny situation because in his voice was such a confidence of, uh, of knowledge, a sense of, 
experience that got so deep in me in that moment. And I felt like, wow, I'm a fucking idiot. You know, like I am really fucking up here, but only because I'm this spoiled person who doesn't have a sense of like, of a limit, you know, like a, a... It's that too, but I think you were emotionally just really caught up. It was a collision, yeah. yeah. You were really caught up, and you had no fear. I mean, mm. for you to pick up those rocks, and you're surrounded by all these men. Oh, yeah. But you had no fear at that point. You were in, you were invincible at that point. But I don't know if it's because, you know, you're a, a, a privileged young white guy. Mm. I think that you were so emotionally connected with the entire and so disturbed by it all mm. that you just you know it's like that person you know hear about that person who's lifts up the car you know I'll, you know all of a sudden they have the power to lift up a car to mm. save someone you know and it's where did that come from i'm amazed that i've made it this far without being just completely you know destroyed by people <laughs> that i've gone up against and somehow they take it so seriously like it it's, it goes beyond physical strength it goes beyond it's like my conviction to yeah. in what i believe in or where i'm coming from with the anger is is just is like like uh, overtaking the situation. It, it just, it, it sort of paralyzes or freezes the moment, you know, and nobody like has come back at me, you know, like I'm, I feel like, you know, justified in my, you know, it's like, I'm not being righteous. I am just, I believe this right. is the right, this is right. right exactly. And there's no, you know, like, and, you know, I don't know. It's funny because when he laughed, you know, when he lit up that joint on the road and he laughed, <laughs> and I was like, I, it just shocked me because I was like, it, it. You were so disturbed and tightened. Well, it was like that, but I was also, I was so mad at him. In that moment, my anger at him for getting high all the time and, you know, getting high at all the wrong times for me or whatever was so absolutely out there, you know, like it was like, no, I am just furious and I'm furious with you. And he was like, cool, man. I always knew we'd be friends. You know, like it was like, holy shit, you know, like, man, I that 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 was like a powerful sort of lightning bolt of a moment where I just realized like, oh, wow, I am like most of the time just full of shit until pushed to the edge and then I become real. I become myself. Mm. And it's like, how do I get there? How do I get there, you know, all the time? And the thing is, he was there. Look how there he was. He's so there. He was so there then. He's still there now. You know, it's like, it's insane how, you know, powerfully connected to himself and 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 all the dial like I just looked at a show up at the Guggenheim and I thought you know every time I look at his work I learn more from it and um it's you know to use these chemical you know formula you know like these to create these to use that that platform to to speak to other things you know it's just like i don't know there was so much that he was sort of the way he was looking at at, um at at his work and what he was saying um and the way and traveling around with him and watching and looking at how he processed things you know in general um and it was all very much like a you know not not calculated you know, shared a room, you know, hotel room for all those weeks and, you know, and it it felt like we were family. Like we, it wasn't, there was no discomfort with anything. Yeah. Strange. I mean, I'm not strange. Great. But, you know, maybe that's also, I'm not a person that, has any discomfort with hang you know sharing rooms or crashing with people or whatever you know i've i've slept i've crashed out in some pretty <laughs> messed up places just because out of necessity 
and made it work, you know, in terms of just like, hey, you know, it's like going to school and sharing a room with somebody. And, you know, it's just that's the. You're sleeping on a bed. Just crashing out. Yeah. yeah. yeah and just um, on a bed. no nothing big deal. Yeah. But I didn't know, like, spending that much time together, nothing stood out to me as, um, but I wasn't looking for that. And I don't think, um, you know, it definitely wasn't strong enough to sort of, you know, get in our way of, like, going and have, sit in a wine bar in Paris and killing four hours. Eating and drinking and talking, you know, like that. So, yeah, it was fun, like, in that, you know, way that we were always happy to have each other's company and and just have constant dialogue of talking about artists, talking about anything, anything, you know. Yeah, it was fun, you know, that way and relationships. And he asked asked me once... uh, he was like, how much money do you make a day? Like, what's your day rate? And I said, well, I, I make about 1500 a day. He said, yeah, me too. And I said, yeah, well, but the difference is, is you make 1500 every day. And I'm only <laughs> making it on the days that I work. So, you know, like, I was like, I'm not really making 1500 so, a day. So you commented that he'd carry... Thousand, yeah, in cash, yeah, in a roll in his pocket. People just paying him cash for his work. Um, I think so. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he had a bank account. I mean, everybody in those documentaries that I've seen, I did not question it. So I didn't. You know, I was like, I thought it. It it, it was impressive to me, but I didn't think like, wow, that's a bad thing. You know, it's like lucky you. You got cash. Fifty thousand. That's a lot. Michael, this has been great. I absolutely appreciate you together, and that's here. special. No, yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you yeah. so much. And and everything you have to say is, it's important. It is important because it's curiosity about you and and a lot of the people that you've interacted with over the years. So yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we covered some good stuff. Some great history. It's yeah, great yeah. History. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.